Welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, recorded on Thursday the 1st of February here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read for you are Moira Lowe, Penny Welford and Richard Pugh, our recording engineer is Alex Gwynn, and we are, as usual, ably supported by the admin team, led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our listeners, especially new ones. I do hope you enjoy this week's offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, details of local events or meetings, and thought for the week. Nowadays, those telephone numbers and the obituaries are placed following the closing music, so if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tapes. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. That's Worcester 01905 or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone facility on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So we'll start now with Moira reading the thought for the week. Okay, so this is from Acts chapter 13, verses 24 and 25. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Thank you, Maura. And now we'll move to the headline and headline articles for the week. Richard, please start. Yes. On Friday, January 26th, uh, the headline was Empty City Pub Set for Big Makeover. Plan to breathe new life into venue. And there's a uh, picture of the cricketers, a uh, well-known Worcester pub, which would undergo a major refurbishment and get a new name, plans reveal. The plans submitted by Star Pub and Bars will see the cricketers' arms transform into the Shakespeare, a pub that will pay homage to the new Scala Theatre when it is built. Star Pubs and Bars said it wants to breathe new life into the derelict pub in Angel Street, and if plans submitted to Worcester City Council are given the green light, the refurbishment will begin in 2025. 
A spokesman at Star Pubs and Bars said, We're keen to breathe new life into the cricketers in Angel Street, Worcester, and as such have submitted provisional plans for a refurbishment of this once-loved pub, with any works not likely to go ahead until 2025 subject to the usual planning consent. Our plans will keep with the wider gentrification of the local area and reflect local landmarks, such as the new Scala Theatre. We will be able to share more details of our specific plans for the pub later this year. The Grade 2 three-storey building has remained empty since closing in 2020 due to Covid's impact on trade. According to the planning application, the former watering hole will be painted white and green with a new illuminated sign and a vertical sign down the outside of the pub. Its hanging sign will have a portrait of William Shakespeare. The general layout and character of the cricketers' arms will not be affected by the plans and the interior work is set to ensure the pub is safe to trade again after its extensive closure. The kitchen is set to move into the pub and the existing accommodation will be refurbished. Lighting and televisions are set to be installed along with new fire doors, timber and vinyl flooring and a new carpet. The existing accommodation on the first floor is proposed to become a domestic space to allow a manager to live on site. The consultation period will end on Wednesday, February 7th and can be found giving, quoting the application number 24 oblique 00020 oblique LB on Worcester City Council. Now for Saturday and Sunday edition, the 27th to the 28th of January. How did this happen to little Alfie? Over 60 calls for help despite authorities saying the nine-year-old was, quotes, safe and well, and, quotes, missed chances to save murdered boy. A review into the murder of a Droitwich nine-year-old has identified missed opportunities to keep him safe after concerns were raised by family members, neighbours and his school. The report also said the lies and cover-ups of his mum and partner prevented professionals from doing their jobs. And the Covid lockdown also played a role in preventing usual actions being taken to keep him safe. Alfie's mother, Carla Scott, 35, and Dirk Howell, 41, of Princeship Street, Birmingham, were jailed for the killing of nine-year-old Alfie Steele last June. Alfie died at his home in Vachon Drive, Droitwich, where he lived with Scott, on February 18, 2021, after suffering abuse and cruelty inflicted by the pair over an extended period of time. The findings of a long-awaited multi-agency independent review, Child Safeguarding Practice Review, were published yesterday highlighting the missed opportunities by professionals from various agencies involved with the family prior to Alfie's death. The report said, This review has found that professionals working with Alfie were hard-working, 
showed care and commitment to Alfie and the family, but were often hampered by two adults who sought to deliberately lie, mislead and cover up what was happening. The review said the COVID pandemic led to agencies being forced to change and develop their standard operating procedures, while also dealing with, quote, depleted resources in terms of staff. COVID also provided Scott and Howell an opportunity to isolate Alfie from family, friends and neighbours under the guise of shielding and his poor health. It meant those usual safety mechanisms were absent. The report says there had been, quote, no evidence that Scott was the victim of coercion and control by Howell. Scott consistently failed to report that Howell was behaving aggressively to Alfie, the report said. She constantly lied about what had happened and her assertion that he, Howell, posed no risk to her or Alfie never wavered. The report is critical of professionals becoming fixed in their thinking and the risk Scott presented to Alfie as a perpetrator, quotes, should have been recognised earlier. It found there was intelligence of drug dealing by both Howell and Scott with reports of drugs being sold from the address, not shared with other professionals. And in October 2020, after Howell assaulted a train guard, he was given a community order with an electronically monitored curfew. This was never put in place, despite the multi-agency group believing that this provided some certainty about where he was, the report said. There were six known incidents of concern raised with police or children's services about physical abuse or Dirk Howell's harsh and cruel practices to Alfie. Stephen Eccleston, Independent Chair of Worcestershire Safeguarding Children Partnership said, On behalf of the partnership, I would like to express our heartfelt condolences to all those who knew Alfie and thank the family for their involvement in this review. Professionals from a number of agencies were involved with Alfie over an extended period of time. This report reflects the amount of contact professionals were having with Alfie his carers and the local community and has identified those occasions where practice should have been stronger. Whilst the investigation and trial were ongoing, the immediate learning from both this case and other child safeguarding practice reviews has resulted in a change of safeguarding practices and activities. We are determined both as a partnership and as individual agencies to ensure the recommendations in this report are also now used to make a real difference to the safety of children and young people. Howell was jailed for life for murder with a minimum term of 32 years. Scott was jailed for 27 years, serving at least 17. And the headline story for Monday, January the 29th. Traffic fears over doctor's surgery plan. Inappropriate proposal slammed. 
Residents fear parts of their homes may be damaged because of inconsiderate parking if plans for a private surgery are given the green light. Plans submitted by Albany House Surgery for a new private practice on Britannia Square have led neighbours to voice concerns over the increased traffic it will bring to the area. A spokesperson for the surgery said it hopes to extend its services with, with the new premises. However, neighbours claim significant damage has already been caused to walls because they claim patients park on double yellow lines, leaving little room for lorries to pass. Albany House Surgery hopes to extend its NHS practice to a bungalow next to the practice, which will be available for private use. Limited parking spaces have been proposed for the extension and the suggested car park will be for staff only. Resident John Roger Ball said, Any cars parked on yellow lines, legally if they have a blue badge, create access problems to large vehicles entering or leaving Albany Terrace. And frequently these big vehicles mount the pavement and several have collided with the walls of adjacent properties, causing significant damage. The reality is that a doctor's surgery on a residential road with narrow streets is no longer appropriate in these times of widespread car usage. Other concerns were raised after residents claimed that existing patients block their drives with their cars and park in permit-holder-only permit sections. A spokesperson for Britannia Square Residents Association said its main concerns are parking, traffic congestion, highway safety and pollution caused by more cars in the area. It added, This is a tranquil residential area with narrow streets, not designed to accommodate a modern busy surgery with numerous daily vehicle movements and parking requirements. We consider that it is totally inappropriate to change the use. A spokesperson for Albany House Surgery said, We've submitted a request for planning permission to extend our surgery's footprint to allow us to extend the types of services we deliver from our current premises. Naturally, we understand our local residents' concerns around parking and other queries submitted via the planning forum. But we're confident we can work with both residents and the Worcester City Council throughout the planning process to make sure these are addressed in ways that allow Albany House to remain a key pillar of our local community and extend the ways we provide healthcare services in Worcester. Earlier this month, it was revealed that Farrier House Surgery, based in Farrier Street, will close for good because of challenges with recruitment and rising costs. Okay, my headline is from Tuesday, January the 30th. Tributes paid after councillor's death. Tributes have been paid to a passionate parish councillor who has been described as being dedicated to making a difference. Paul Walters, chairman of St Peter's Parish Council, died suddenly and unexpectedly at his home. Mr Walters has been described by many as a passionate and dedicated councillor who went above and beyond for St Peter's. John Renshaw, vice-chairman of St Peter's Parish Council, said, It is a big loss for the parish council in St Peter's. We were very supportive of his fellow councillors and was dedicated to making a difference. 
He had this energy about him that was infectious to the people he was around. Mr Walters was first elected to St Peter's in 2019 and later progressed up the councillor ranks until he was given the title of chairman in May 2023. He helped run the Police and Communities Together PACT meetings as well as host various events like the St Peter's Parish Festival and take part in community activities like litter picks. Councillor Eleanor Round, Worcester City Councillor for St Peter's Ward, said... It was a shock and I'm deeply saddened to hear about Paul's passing. He was a great advocate for St Peter's and will be greatly missed by colleagues and by the parish council. I will miss working with him. Paul was very passionate about St Peter's and always dedicated to the role of parish councillor. He was a lovely, lovely man. A spokesman for St Peter's Parish Council said it was deeply saddened by the news in a statement last night, which would have been Sunday. It read, St Peter's Parish Council is deeply saddened to have to inform residents that our chairman, Councillor Paul Walters, has died suddenly and unexpectedly at his home. Paul was first elected to the council in 2019 after retiring from a career in human resources. He took on the local policing portfolio and chaired our local pact meetings. He subsequently became Vice Chairman of the Council in 2022 and then Chairman in May 2023. He was very committed to St Peter's and the work of the Council and in this last week alone he attended two Newslink editorial meetings and participated in the regular community litter pick run by the Friends of the Parks amongst a host of other activities. Fuller tributes will be paid to Paul at the forthcoming meeting of the Council on the 8th of February. In the meantime, we extend our condolences to his family. We shall miss him. Mr Walters has lived in Worcester for nearly 35 years after moving from Shrewsbury. And Wednesday's edition on January the 31st has the headline City's First BMX Track Approved with a subheading of Plans Met With Strong Objections. Plans for a much-anticipated BMX track, the first in the city, have been given the go-ahead after delays. Planning officers had recommended Worcester's Place and Economic Development Committee defer a decision after strong objections from some residents, but members decided against this. The circular BMX track has been proposed to be built in Battenhall Park on the edge of St Peter's in Worcester, and is set to cost around £60,000. The council gave approval, in principle, to the track 50 metres by 20 metres, as suitable for all ages and skill levels in 2021. But three years later, it has still not materialised. A consultation took place, which showed 60% said they would use the facility, 40% saying they would never use it, while 65% felt the track was in the right location. Cara Williams, one of the concerned residents, told the meeting the proposed facility was fabulous, but their concerns stemmed from the location of a proposed huge attraction. There are deeply rooted issues associated with the chosen site, including the boggy terrain, the proximity to houses and the loss of green space. But Gary Valance, a Battenhall resident, said he was there for his 12-year-old son, Jacob, 
as plans were at a standstill. He and I have visited over 150 pump tracks around the UK, Mr Vallance said. He has almost given up hoping for one he can enjoy with his neighbours and schoolmates. Lloyd Griffiths, Corporate Director, Operations, Homes and Communities, said, What we have acknowledged, if this was the first pump track location for Worcester, it would very likely become a destination site. If... I think that should read, it would be more preferable if it came to with support and infrastructure, which Batten Hall doesn't contain at the moment. Although most respondents were supportive if in the consult consultation, it was clear there was local opposition to it. The reasons cited range <clears throat> from noise, antisocial behaviour, litter, damage, an impact on wildlife and biodiversity. He said officers were recommending a deferral to allow officers to investigate further sites. But at the start of councillors' discussions, it quickly became clear a majority were against this. Councillor Jesse Jagger proposed an amendment for it to be approved on the condition the authority works with concerned residents and looks at locations for other tracks. A lot of decisions we make ignore young people. Councillor Jagger said, It's inevitable NIMBYs will always have the loudest voices. Whatever ward this pump track goes to will face loud opposition from a handful of people. If we don't make progress on this day, none of us can guarantee it will happen. Councillor Jabber Riaz said, There is a considerable lack of facilities. It is a key location hundreds use as a play facility. We are too afraid to make brave decisions. Councillor James Stanley said, I would not want to see this lost. We can work together to allay fears. Councillor Simon Geraghty said work on the plan lasted three years. We won't find a perfect site, Councillor Geraghty said. This should be the first pump track. We should continue to examine other sites for others. But Councillor Elena Rounder said, I have great concerns about the location. There are going to be lots of cars parked in residential streets which are already rammed. When the vote was taken at the meeting on Monday, January the 30th, a majority approved the recommendation. And finally, today's headline and headline article. Bridge closes after collapse. Part of the foundation washed away. An historic bridge located on the outskirts of Worcester has been closed off after partially collapsing. Old Poet Bridge, which is normally open to pedestrians and cyclists, will be out of bounds for the foreseeable future, while repairs are undertaken. Highways service firm Ringway was on hand at the scene, where cones have been laid along Old Road to prevent anyone from accessing the bridge. It has also blocked the pathway that leads down towards Poic Roundabout that is used on a daily basis by cyclists and pedestrians.
John Fraser from Worcestershire County Council Highways team said, We are here to clear some of the debris that is up against the bridge because of the floods. What we have actually discovered is part of the foundation of the bridge has been washed away, so it's not safe to remain open. We are going to put a hard closure in here to actually physically prevent anyone from getting to it. And then we need to do a proper assessment of what needs to be done to get the bridge repaired. Mr Fraser suspected the partial collapse of the bridge was as a result of several significant floods to have hit the region in recent years. He also stressed there had been no previous signs that Poet Bridge was at risk of collapsing prior to the incident. Obviously, we have had several significant floods in recent years. And I think it is probably the combined effect of that has scoured the foundations of the bridge. Diggers are being used to clear away the large amounts of debris that include driftwood and whole tree trunks that is built up in the river team by the bridge. Mr Fraser said a full assessment would need to be carried out to ensure the bridge could not be accessed and added it was too soon to suggest a timescale of how long the bridge would be closed for. It's too early to say, he said. What we need to do is make this safe so nobody can access it and then we will do a full assessment. Then we should have some idea of timescales, but it's not going to be very soon, I can tell you that. The Battle of Poet Bridge was a skirmish fought on the 23rd of September 1642 during the First English Civil War. Right, so I'll now ask Richard to read a sports article. Certainly. And I've honed in on this article about the continuation of uh, Worcestershire's wonderful dynasty, known as the Dolliveras. Worcestershire captain Brett Dolivera has committed his long-term future to the county with a three-year contract extension. Dolivera had one year left on his current deal, but has now agreed to remain at New Road through until the end of the 27th season. The skipper was instrumental in leading Worcestershire to promotion in last summer's county championship and admits that feat has made him hungry for more. It's fantastic to sign the new contract and really grateful to the club, said the 31-year-old. It was special to lead the side to promotion and gives you the hunger for more of the same thing. Going into Division 1 presents a different challenge. A tougher challenge, but one I know the group are looking forward to, and so am I. I actually do feel some of my best years are ahead of me. I don't feel 31 going on 32, which is great. I still feel 18. Probably the biggest kid within the group. And that banter and being with the boys, I still absolutely love it. I've got so much more to give and so many more years to play, hopefully. And let's just concentrate on these four years. But hopefully there's a bit more of uh, after that as well. Dolivera 
has been a cornerstone of Worcestershire cricket since his List A debut in 2011 and subsequent county championship and T20 debuts in 2012. He's made over 300 appearances in all formats, scoring 5,069 first-class runs at an average of 32.7, along with significant contributions in T20 and List A matches. His leg spin has also earned him a combined total of 220 wickets across all formats. He will no doubt play a massive role in ensuring Worcestershire compete and remain a Division I county this season. Alan Richardson, Worcestershire's head coach, expressed his satisfaction with Dolly Vera's extension. We're delighted that Dolly is continuing with us. His influence extends beyond the field, bringing enthusiasm, energy and leadership to the team. He's a vital player for us, especially as we face the challenges of Division I cricket. Thank you, Richard. And now, on this day, the Worcester News publishes each day various events um, on that day in various years in the city's history or and the nation's history so 1st of February 1901 the actor Clark Gable was born in Ohio last year on 1st of February hundreds of thousands of workers including school teachers went on strike for what was the biggest day of industrial action in more than a decade Birthdays on the 1st of February. Adam Ingram, politician, 77. Sherilyn Fenn, actress, 59. Joshua Redman, jazz saxophonist, 55. And Laura Marling, a musician, 34. So on the 1st of February in history. 1865, the bill to abolish slavery in the US was signed. 1872, Dame Clara Butt was born. She was the contralto who first performed the song version of Land of Hope and Glory, part of the Pomp and Circumstance Marches by Edward Elgar, son of this city. 1st of February 1884, the first volume of the Oxford English Dictionary a to ANT was published. 1896. Mimi's tiny hand was frozen for the first time at Puccini's opera La Boheme, opened in Turin. 1st of February 1930. The Times published its first crossword. Crosswords are things, I think, that we feel have been there forever, but actually they are relatively new. 1st of February 1949, the government announced clothes rationing would end in Britain. 1979, Ayatollah Khomeini returned to Iran after 14 years exile in France. 1979, he landed in France after a long exile, as stated. 1990, Bulgaria's communist government resigned. 2003, 
Seven astronauts died as the Columbia shuttle disintegrated upon re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. On 1st of February 2013, the Shard, the tallest building in the European Union, was opened to the public. Quite a variety there. So I'll add to that before we look at um, the letters page. Um, two of the events I mentioned in my introduction this evening that um, I'm asked to bring to your attention. First of all, from a lady called Anne Briggs. Anne Briggs runs Worcester Macular Support Group and would like to welcome new members to its first meeting on Thursday the 15th of February this year at 2pm at the Friends Meeting House, 1 Sansom Walk, Worcester, WR1 1UG, and on subsequent third Thursdays in the month. She says that they are a small, friendly group and if you require any further information, please contact her on Worcester 640234. And the second, indoor training and taster sessions for VI Cricket are taking place on Sunday the 11th of February and Sunday the 10th of March at Nunnery Wood Sports Complex, Spetchley Road, from 1300 to 1600 hours. Although it's being held in Worcester, it is open to the county-wide visually impaired community. And that is from Lynn, who is the cricket coordinator for VI and director of operations at the Old Elizabethans Club. And there's a phone number that you can ring, I, I'm sure, for further information. 07974-746616. So now I'll ask Penny... Moira and Richard, to read the articles or the letters from the one letter page we have this week. The first letter um, head is headed, Memory of Such a Sadly Missed Character. And it's in, res in response to an article which appeared in the Worcester News on Saturday, January the 20th, uh, titled, When Chicken George Ruled the Roost, Nostalgia. My husband and I lived in Worcester for many years and remember Chicken George, who was a doorman at the old picture house opposite the Fourgate Street station until he retired. If you took time to talk to him, he was a lovely man, but got confused as he got older. He was sorely missed when he passed away. OK, my... Letter is from Alex Murray, Temporary Chief Constable of West Mercia. On Tuesday, January the 23rd, 2024, the results of the largest integrity screening project ever undertaken in policing were published. 
This has seen 307,452 police officers, staff and volunteers in England and Wales checked against the police national database, including those that work for West Mercia Police, your local service. Here at West Mercia Police, 4,745 people were checked and as the data released by the National Police Chiefs Council today shows one individual required a vetting clearance review. Two others had additional checks to establish if there were any issues. There were none and no further action was needed. This national cross-checking of records has complemented our current vetting practices to further strengthen the safeguards we have in place to make sure the right people are working in policing and to assure ourselves about the integrity of our vetting standards. A huge amount of work is done to check the suitability of our officers and staff before they join us, as you should expect. And should those then serving in the force betray our core values, we will get them out as quickly as possible. I want you to have confidence that we are doing all we can to ensure our workforce has the highest standards of integrity and when an officer is dismissed, we will not be quiet. We will let you know so you can see the tangible results of our drive to improve and build your confidence in your police service. We are grateful for your support. We cannot police without your consent and welcome the scrutiny and challenge from our independent advisory groups and the feedback we receive in local surveys and through our safer neighbourhood teams. By working together with you, we can ensure we build on the safer West Mercia plan and create safer communities for all. And finally, a letter from Alec Mackay. I refer to the report, Costly Election Unnecessary, uh, was news January 12th, in which James Connell accurately reports that shocked parish councillors criticised the unnecessary election in May that will cost ratepayers of St Peter's £9,000. The report records that on November the 28th, Worcester City Council voted overwhelmingly to impose an unnecessary election in May in order to match the City Council elections. <coughs> the present parish council was only elected six months ago after a four-year term to 2027. Not one city councillor voted to support the parish council, including the Green Party councillors for St Peter's, Elena Round and Dr Stephen Cockerham, who sat behind me at the parish council meeting, or said a word in explanation of their lack of support to the ratepayers of St Peter's, or to my understandable vocal explosion of shock at their silence, although both had spoken in favour of the City Council's proposal on November the 28th. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> so now to more general articles for the week. And I'm going to ask Penny to start off. My article is from Monday, January the 29th and refers back to an event on Friday. Smile in sky brings cheer to aeroplane fan. A smile was drawn in the sky, especially for a patient being cared for at a city hospice, it has been revealed. Aerobatic pilot Rich Goodwin created the sky-high spectacle for St Richard's Hospice patient Ray Stanton, aged 66, an aeroplane enthusiast and former transportation engineer. 
Mr Stanton, who lives in Worcester, enjoyed the show with his wife Angela and children Sophie Rayburn and Matthew Stanton. To see the smile in the sky and then look at Ray's smile was just fantastic, said Mrs Stanton. I haven't seen him smile for a while. The care here is above and beyond anything. Mr Stanton, who has cancer, has had a lifelong passion for aircraft and transport. His children fondly remember going to air shows and museums with their dad, where he would share his extensive knowledge with them. Mike Wilkerson, chief executive at St Richard's Hospice, said, This was such a special moment for everyone watching, and we feel privileged to have helped make it happen for Ray and his family. We would like to say a huge heartfelt thank you to Rich for creating such precious memories for Ray, his family and everyone who witnessed the smile in the sky. St Richard's Hospice is an independent charity caring for adults with a serious progressive illness, improving their quality of life from diagnosis, during treatment, to their last days and supporting those important to them. Each year the hospice team supports more than 3,100 patients, family members and bereaved people in Worcestershire. It cost 10.28 million pounds to run the hospice. That's from the 22-23 audited accounts. This includes patient care and all the necessary support services. St Richard's relies on donations and gifts in wills for the majority of its income, with the remainder funded by the NHS. Okay, a new group for support success. Fifteen partners of men who have prostate cancer attended the first meeting of the newly formed Prostate Cancer Partner Group. The meeting in November was held in the cafe at Perlerswell Leisure Centre, Worcester. It was an opportunity for the partners to break the ice and chat in a relaxed setting about their personal experiences of living with someone with prostate cancer. Gwyn Scolari, whose partner has been treated for prostate cancer, said, I was really keen to come to the meeting. Everyone was so friendly and it quickly became obvious that we all would benefit from meeting other people in the same position. It's great to swap stories, but I think the group is going to be a place where we learn from each other too. The group has been launched through the efforts of Alison Hansen and Andrea Ferns. Their husbands are both receiving prostate cancer treatment and they were introduced through the Kidderminster and Worcestershire Prostate Cancer Support Group. Alison said, It was definitely a success. There was lots of chatter about the issues surrounding prostate cancer for partners, but also socialising, which was lovely. I'm really looking forward to the next meeting. The second meeting is on Friday, February the 23rd at Purdyswell Leisure Centre, Belford Road. It runs from 11am until 12 noon and there will be coffee, cake and chatter. Partners of those with prostate cancer can just turn up and drop in. For more information about the group, email alison.hanson at live.co.uk. For details about the Kidderminster and Worcestershire Prostate Cancer Support Group, check out the website at www.kwpcsg.co.uk. And a little touch of nostalgia for those of more mature years. Uh, the headline, Woolworths to Return. 
Worcester news readers have been reacting to the news that Woolworths could potentially make a, t- a return to high streets across the UK. Known for its pick-and-mix sweets and affordable pricing, the brand closed its British outlets in 2009 due to the financial crisis. However, the brand survived in Germany, where it goes by the name Woolworth by H.H. Holding. Readers have been reminiscing about the store on Facebook. Roman Heine, currently at the helm of H.H. Holding, views the UK as a target for international expansion and has not ruled out the possibility of return. Diana Stanley said, Loved Woolworths. It would be great if it came back to high streets. Other residents echoed this sentiment, with Sue Griffiths commenting, Never missed a shop so much. The Woolworths brand was born in the US, but has an extensive history in the UK, having operated for a century in the country since the opening of its first store in Liverpool in 1909. There were 807 British stores at the time of the High Street favourite closure, resulting in 27,000 people being left unemployed. Former employee Suzanne Lyons commented, used to work at Guildhall in the early 60s and got my buttered roll from Woolies. It was only four pence. Fellow uh, former Woolworths worker Irene Mountford added, I worked in Woolworths for a couple of years when I was a student. I loved it, as there were other students too. We had great fun. Reader Anne Dunbar said, Loved everything they sold. Miss Woolworths a lot. It would be lovely to have Woolworths back in Worcester. With Diana Stanley concurring, Loved Woolworths. It would be great if it came back to high streets. Jan Hill hopes for resurgence of other beloved high street stores, writing, "We could do with lots of other stores coming back to two. We could do with lots of other stores coming back too. British Home Stores, CNA, Russell and Dorrell, Debenhams, to name a few." And what also might not be widely known, Woolworths were very strong in supporting handicapped people in having a few hours' work experience. And they did an outstanding job in that respect, if I may add that personal comment. Thank you, Richard. Guidelines for doctors. New guidelines for how doctors should behave at work come into force today. That was on Tuesday of this week. As regulators move to tackle toxic workplace cultures. The first substantial changes to the good medical practice guidelines in a decade were published in August and included new standards on sexual harassment, whistleblowing and bullying. The measures will be implemented by the General Medical Council, the GMC, from Tuesday following a five-month familiarisation period for staff. There will be a zero-tolerance approach to sexual harassment, which has been included in the guide for the first time. It said doctors must not act in a sexual way towards colleagues with the effect or purpose of causing offence, embarrassment, humiliation or distress. This includes verbal or written comments and displaying or sharing images as well as physical contact. 
It adds to existing guidelines that medics must not act in a sexual way towards patients or use their position to pursue sexual or improper relationships. The 2024 document also places emphasis on doctors in leadership and management positions to create a culture in which staff feel safe to speak about concerns. It urges doctors who witness bullying or discrimination to do something about it, such as challenging the behaviour, reporting it in line with workplace policies and offering support to the victim. Charlie Massey, Chief Executive of the GMC, said, Good medical practice is the most important document we publish. The feedback we've received is clear. Positive culture is a golden thread running throughout. By focusing on compassionate, fair workplaces where people feel empowered to speak up, we lay a solid foundation for teamwork and ultimately safer care for patients. It advises medics to be aware that when communicating privately using instant messaging services, correspondence may also become public. It also said it has a legal duty to investigate any concerns raised to us that reach our fitness to practice threshold. As part of the update, the GMC has provided more detailed guidance on particular topics such as social media use. For the next article, it's from the weekend edition and we are going back in time. The headline is Female Warrior Who Grew Up in the City and the article is by Mike Price. It's accompanied by some lovely old photographs. One is a picture of Friar Street and it looks like an away day for the Friar Street lads in the early 1900s with horse-drawn carriages. And then there's another wonderful image of Friar Street in Victorian times. And then a picture of the lady in question, the subject of the article, Hannah Snell, female soldier, tough as old boots and then some. (laughs) With whispers in the wind, there may be conscription into the armed forces to combat the growing menace of the beast from the east, the nation could be looking for characters like Hannah Snell. Who was Hannah Snell? She was only one of the bravest and most resilient soldiers Worcester has ever produced. A stirring example to shrinking violets everywhere. After joining the army by pretending to be a man, this tough-as-teak lady managed to maintain her deception by digging out a bullet in her nether regions herself, without any anaesthetic, and then then self-dressing the wound. Anyway, popping down to A&E wouldn't have been an option, because this happened in 1748, and the location was Pondicherry in south-east mm. India. Hannah had been born in Friar Street, Worcester, in April 1723 and was a tomboy by inclination. The daughter of a hosier and dyer, she loved playing soldiers and when a little girl, she formed her own regiment among boys and girls of the neighbourhood, parading them up and down the street. Initially, she did get married and have a child, but the baby died and her husband ran off. So, at the age of 22, Hannah borrowed a male suit 
and set off to search for her evaporated spouse. The military seemed a good place to look and at Coventry she enlisted in the Duke of Northumberland's army. However, by the time the troop reached Carlisle she was in trouble because a sergeant's wife began to fancy the handsome young man. <laughs> Unfortunately for Hannah, the sergeant noticed and took revenge by having what he thought was a rank-and-file soldier flogged. Mm. Hannah maintained her modesty by facing the whipping post and taking the blows on her back. As she was cut down, she clutched her clothes to her front and no one was any the wiser. At this point, she deserted the Duke's army and travelled to Portsmouth, still dressed as a man, where she enlisted as a Marine in Colonel Fraser's regiment. The regiment was sent to India, where Hannah was involved in several military encounters, being wounded at least 12 times. At the Battle of Pondicherry, a bullet hit her in the groin, leading to the tale of the self-extraction. However, another version of the story says an Indian woman removed the bullet, but kept the secret. Take your pick. Whatever the truth... Hannah Snell's remarkable life was eventually revealed. When she returned to England, an account of her adventures entitled The Female Soldier was published in 1750. She appeared on stage at Sadler's Wells performing military drills and three portrait artists, artists painted her in masculine dress. In July 1750, the Gentleman's Magazine featured her life story and included a poem in her honour. The Duke of Cumberland added her name to the King's pension list, and after the, publicity, after the publicity, Hannah retired to keep a public house, which she named the Female Warrior. After that failed, she became an out-pensioner at Chelsea Hospital. In all, Hannah Snell married three times, but eventually sadly went insane and died in Bethlehem Hospital in 1792, aged 69. Her grave is in the grounds of Chelsea Hospital. A blue plaque to honour Hannah has been fixed to the wall of number 25 Friar Street, Worcester, which is opposite the Tudor House Museum. Together with the adjoining New Street, Friar Street has some of the oldest properties in Worcester, several of which would have been there when Hannah was a child. That reminds me too, um, it was a happy ending more or less, um, of the story about a female pope in the early Middle Ages who was only discovered as female when during a, a large procession, religious procession, she began to give birth to a child. <laughs> Um, wow. Not such a happy outcome. Okay. Moira. Mm. Uh, oh, follow that. Uh, Worcester gardeners are warned to avoid choosing invasive species that can spread into the wild as the UK enters the hedge planting season. Experts at the Property Care Association, PCA, said invasive plants that are not native to the UK are gaining ground across the country and taking their toll on the natural environment. Daniel Docking, the PCA's invasive weed control technical manager, said two species, cherry, laurel and Japanese rose, are of particular concern. 
While both plants are attractive, fast-growing ornamental species popular in landscaping projects, their ability to spread rapidly can have a damaging impact. Mr Docking said, Our advice to gardeners is to be particularly careful about the plants they choose for landscaping projects as the UK enters the traditional hedging season. Invasive species such as Japanese knotweed and giant hogweed are regularly in the headlines, but PCA members' work embraces all aspects of invasive non-native plant control, and we are concerned about the impact of cherry laurel and Japanese rose. Cherry laurel has adapted well to the varied UK climate and is a challenging species to tackle if it escapes into woodland or native habitats. It forms dense thickets and, if left unchecked, can outcompete native vegetarian veg, vegetation or vegetarians vegetation, disrupting ecosystems and impacting biodiversity. It also has remarkable shade tolerance, and its evergreen foliage contains gliosides, which make it unpalatable to livestock and many invertebrates, allowing it to proliferate. Japanese rose can adapt to a spectrum of environmental conditions and form dense thickets. It grows rapidly, relying on birds and mammals to distribute its seeds, is resistant to pests and diseases and can displace indigenous plant species as well as attracting pollinators with its showy flowers. How could I possibly resist this headline? Maritime pub with quirky loos which also shows a photograph of the owner of this establishment, Mr Ian Paxton and his manager, Matt Dainty, uh, together with uh, the back garden and a couple of other photographs. The newest maritime, in inverted commas, pub in Worcester offers a traditional port in a storm for drinkers and quite possibly the world's quirkiest toilets in one of the city's most captivatingly beautiful buildings. Yes, uh, this is what it's called. To climb to the top of the cocky anchor at 61 Broad Street, Worcester feels much like ascending the dizzying heights of a lighthouse or scaling the crow's nest of a grand old galleon. But it is worth climbing around that 100 steps. Uh, bracket, there are six floors, including the basement, closing bracket, to the domed cupola with its weather vane. It is certainly a voyage of discovery, for there you are rewarded with commanding panoramic views of the city below, with the rooftops spread out far below like so many ships in a harbour. Even the bar is designed to resemble the prow of a ship, and the atmosphere is only enhanced by a veritable cabinet of curiosities. Carefully chosen anti antiques purchased from Britain's auction houses. The dramatic effect is to create a sort of nautical nirvana for hardened sea dogs and landlubbers alike. For owner Ian Paxton, the sea is quite literally in his blood. One of his ancestors worked as a cooper serving on HMS Victory, which of course we know is Lord Nelson's flagship, and his wife also served with the Royal Navy. He said the whole basis is to create a traditional pub. We don't have televisions and music blaring. It's for people to come and have a conversation. And it goes back to traditional values. Julian Castle, an architect for Anchor Design, was tasked with bringing the vision to life 
but it's also been a careful project of restoration of the elegant grade two uh, li- uh, listed building, formerly known as Cupola House, which could date from as early as 1720. Uh, apparently, historic England says 1740, but we won't argue now. It has been a house to a corset shop and a vaping business. This latest incarnation rescues her from the fathoms of the obscurity in which she has long languished. Many of the upstairs rooms are largely derelict, or were, sorry, were largely derelict, before they were painstakingly restored and salvaged for future generations. However, possibly the most distinctive feature is the humorous clock WC toilets with grandfather clocks. The distinctive paint... Yes, there is a photograph of one of these um, facilities uh, shown uh, on the page alongside the article. However, possibly... The, uh, yes, we see that. The distinctive painted heads on the exterior, they seem like figureheads on a venture such as this, are believed to be a merchant, a soldier and a cleric. But there is some suggestion one of the heads might be that of a rabbi. Part of the building, the cupola, may have been a synagogue or was described as such by locals because it resembled one. <laughs> well, I can't possibly follow that. But um, back to terra firma now. Um, this next article is about what is fast becoming quite a hot potato locally. And it's the second article on the subject, um, quite lately, from Worcester News. Bags check policy fury. Shoppers are now having their bags searched at a budget city supermarket's checkouts as part of a new policy causing anger from some customers who feel insulted. A female shopper who declined to be named said she was searched at the checkout at Aldi in Bath Road, Worcester although the budget supermarket chain says it is not a new policy. The shopper told the Worcester News, the new policy is for shoppers to put their empty bags on the conveyor belt and then are required to show the contents and receipts for any other shopping in bags not bought in Aldi. So if you shop in B&M before Aldi, as most do, you're required to show the contents of that previous shop along with a receipt to the Aldi cashier. When I challenged back, they said it was policy to bag search any bags coming in. The elderly gentleman ahead of me said how it insulted his integrity and the family with a baby behind me in the queue were forced to show a soiled potty in a carrier bag that they were understandably embarrassed about. When the reporter attended Aldi in Bath Road on Monday and bought soft Peter and a half bloomer for £2.14, he was asked by a staff member to put his little bag on the checkout and she searched it. To be honest, it strikes me rather like going into Barclays and shouting Nat West. (laughs) She said, it's a new policy 
Could you put your bag on the checkout? The shopper who raised the issue said, "This new procedure has been brought up on neighbourhood groups like next door, where lots of Aldi shoppers are very upset. Surely there is some consumer privacy protection, where searching all your bags isn't necessary. I don't believe this is a nationwide policy. So what are Bathroad doing?" A spokesperson for the Aldi said, "To confirm." This is not a new policy. In line with other retailers, bag checks are being carried out in stores by our colleagues where needed. Bag checks should only ever be carried out with customers' permission. We asked what happened when customers refused to have their bags searched. The spokesperson added, "The policy was introduced last year." But the decision is taken at store level. It is understood bag checks are only ever carried out with the consent of shoppers in stores where needed, and the decision is taken at a store level. Customers will not be stopped from making purchases or leaving the store if they refuse to have their bags searched. My next article is from Tuesday's edition, and there's a picture of an ambulance, and the headline is "Death Trap Safety Rally." And the photograph of the ambulance is a flashback of an ambulance parked in Stanley Road the day a boy aged six was knocked down by a car last November. A safety rally is to take place outside a school where a young boy was knocked over by a car. As parents say, their children have also had near misses on the death trap road. The rally is due to take place outside Stanley Road Primary School in Stanley Road on Friday, February the ninth, when school finishes at three fifteen p.m. The school has seen two crashes involving children in twelve months, leaving many fearing for their children's safety. We have previously reported how there was a crash involving a six-year-old and a Ford Fiesta outside the school in November. The boy was taken to Birmingham Children's Hospital, but it is since understood to have made a full recovery. Mothers of children at the school, including Lucy Curiak and Katie McLenachan, are now calling for something to be done as a matter of urgency. Mum of two, Katie McLenachan of Dent Close, Worcester, said, "They drive so fast. Drivers are exceeding the speed limit every day." It's a death trap every morning. There's no safe way to get there. The 38-year-old who called the situation urgent even says she has had to grab the children of other parents to stop them being hit by a car. She urged other people in the community to support the safety rally as it was a neighbourhood issue. She added, "Over the past few years, myself and many other parents have tried to get this problem sorted." But it seems no one wants to take accountability, and Stanley Road is not a safe road. My own children have had many near misses, so this is something I feel needs much more awareness. Councillor De- Lynn Denham, joint leader of Worcester City Council, but also a county councillor, said she planned to attend the safety event and was supportive of the, of the initiative to make Stanley Road safer. Councillor Denham said. 
One of the issues was that the school was on an island, with every single child having to cross a busy road to get to it. She added, It's a campaign I'm working on, but it's been slow progress with the County Council. I'm supportive of parents who want safe roads for their children. The local police team are very supportive. They have been having road safety lessons with all the Stanley Road children. She also attended a meeting with parents on January the 15th. The Labour councillor has made a request to Worcestershire County Council that the zigzag lines outside Stanley Road Primary School be enforced, meaning fines could be issued to drivers who park on them. However, she said, the legal process has only just begun. I have been pushing for some time that process which has now started. I have been lobbying with parents and local councillors for a pedestrian crossing in Wilds Lane. That is currently waiting for county council engineers to look at for the technical feasibility. There's community sport for, for the crossing and I continue to try to make that happen. Worcestershire Rail users are being advised to check journeys this week as a number of train operators are affected by industrial action this week. Members of ASLEF have launched a wave of fresh walkouts in a long-running dispute over train drivers' pay. Services are already being affected by a nine-day ban on overtime which started on Monday. County Rail users will be most hit on Saturday, February the 3rd when there will be no there will be no West Midlands railway trains on any routes running. West Midlands Railway, or WMR, said there will be a reduced service on some WMR routes with remaining services subject to possible short-notice disruption throughout this week and next Monday and Tuesday, the 5th and 6th of February. On Sunday, February the 4th, WMR said significant disruption and cancellations across the WMR network expected. Rail users are advised to check their journey before attempting to travel at wmr.uk forward slash plan. Great Western Railway, GWR, says its services could be caused short notice alterations or cancellations throughout this week. GWR said on Sunday, February the 4th, there will be significant disruption to services and customers should travel on alternate days. On Monday, February 5th, a reduced revised timetable will operate across several train operators, including GWR. Many parts of the GWR network will have no service at all, and trains that are running will only be operating for a limited period during the day. WMR has said anyone who purchased a ticket before January the 16th for, January bet- for travel between January the 30th and Monday 5th of February can use these on any day up to Wednesday, February the 7th. GWR has also said any tickets for January 30th to Monday the 5th of February can be used to travel on any day up to Wednesday, February the 7th. ASLEF's General Secretary, Mick Whelan, says some drivers have not had a pay rise for almost five years. He has accused the government of giving up trying to resolve the row. The strikes were expected to be the first test of the minimum service level legislation aimed at ensuring train operators could run 40% of services. But none of the train companies are using the new law, which the government is also planning to extend to other sectors. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak told the Daily Mail, 
They're available for train operators to use a key tool that train operators themselves have asked for to reduce the impact of disruption on passengers. They should now use them. A headline shows £5,000 donation for medics team. A pre-hospital medical team that cares for seriously injured or critically unwell roadside patients has received a £5,000 donation. Worcestershire charity Mercia Accident Rescue Services, uh, known as MARS, has been donated a substantial sum from the Cadbury Foundation. Mars, which provides emergency medical care to severely sick individuals in a variety of roadside situations, from vehicle crashes to cardiac arrests, has been chosen by employees of renowned confectionery brand Mondel's International to be recipients of this generous grant. The grant was given as part of the organisation's Your Charity, Your Choice scheme, where each year, employees are invited to nominate well-being-related charities close to their hearts to receive a large donation, with the final chosen charities selected via voting amongst staff. Monda's international electrician, Matthew Hughes, said, The Mars team work tirelessly to attend a range of major incidents across the region. And as volunteers, they give up their free time to provide life-saving and critical care. I'm delighted that my fellow colleagues chose them to receive this donation so they can continue to support individuals in need during emergency and critical situations. Mars was one of 11 charities across the UK to receive the donation this year. The charity, run by 16 volunteer doctors, nurses and paramedics, has been providing important services to Herefordshire, Worcestershire and the Midlands for nearly 40 years. Dr Rob Moss, clinical lead at Mars, said, As a charitable team of volunteers, we rely solely on donations. This generous grant will significantly support us with our vital work and will allow us to invest in new kit bags and equipment which will ultimately enable us to respond to multiple casualties across the region. Community Affairs Manager at Mondell's International, Kelly Farrell, said, Supporting fantastic charities and projects that make a real difference to the lives of people of so many is exactly what the Cadbury Foundation is all about. We're proud to know that thanks to the Foundation's help, Mars will be able to continue providing emergency help and assistance to incidents on roads across the Midlands and supporting those in need. And now an article, Armed Drug Dealers Jailed. Armed drug dealers who trafficked heroin and crack cocaine into Worcester are now behind bars. The pair of county lines dealers who operated in Worcester and Hereford have been jailed for a total of six years and 11 months. Joshua Roberts, 20, of Dover Close, Birmingham, was sentenced to three years and two months. And Edwin Oniemi Campbell, 21, of Willington Road in Sheffield, was given three years and nine months. They were both sentenced at Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday after pleading guilty to possession with intent to supply Class A heroin, crack and 
cocaine and possession of an offensive weapon. On Thursday, November the 30th, officers stopped on Amy Campbell and Roberts inside Coral Betting Shop on Widemarsh Street, Hereford. They were found to be in possession of three large knives, a large quantity of Class A drugs, two burner phones and cash. Detective Sergeant Jim Moore said, Drugs are a constant menace to our society. They motivate offending and destroy lives. I welcome these sentences as a deterrent to those who think that they can exploit vulnerable people and make Hereford a destination for their offending. Anyone found supplying controlled drugs in the county will be robustly dealt with. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the members of the public who came to our assistance and encourage anyone with information about drug supply to come forward. You can report online under the Tell Us About section at West Mercia Police or by calling 101. If you have information about drugs and drug supply and don't want to speak to police, you can report information anonymously via Crime Stoppers on 0800 treble 5 treble 1. On a more a lighter and more positive note, the next article is entitled Bird Fans Flock to Event. Wildlife lovers from seasoned birdwatchers to fledgling enthusiasts were swiftly taken under the wing at a birdwatching event at a city park. The Worcester and Malvern RSPB group and Friends of Fort Royal played their part in the free RSPB Big Garden Birdwatch at the city's Fort Royal Park between 9 and 11 on, Sunday, on Saturday. Described as the UK's biggest citizen science wildlife survey, taking part helps the RSPB understand how garden birds are doing right now and also it took place at the same time on the Sunday. Bird enthusiasts said the park was the perfect perch to see the city's birds, including red wings, which are winter thrushes from Scandinavia, coal tits and even ravens and peregrine falcons nesting at Worcester Cathedral. Simon Evans, secretary of the local branch, said it was the first time they had taken part in the Big Garden Birdwatch in the park. Mr Evans said the RSPB is about a lot more than birds these days. We have to look after the environment and habitats. It is important that the whole population raises their awareness just a bit and becomes a little bit more nature-friendly. We want people to be interested in nature and sympathetic to nature. For those who have caught the bird-watching bug, he said members and non-members alike were welcome to join them at Poic Village Hall on the second Wednesday of every month at 7.30pm. Kerry Castle, chair of the Friends of Fort Royal, said their focus had been shifted to smaller and more frequent events at the park. This is a really good example of the things we hope to do, she said. Rosemary Henman, a member of the local group, said they were now closely involved with Worcestershire schools, Stanley Road Primary School, Honeywell Primary School in St John's, Hallow C of E Primary School and Broadheath C of E Primary School. The group was ready to hand out free colourful workbooks books, to stir more interest in birds among young people. Mrs Henman said, 
It is getting people interested in birds, but also concerns the bigger picture about the planet, including habitats. Nature needs a big hand right now. The group has several projects, including a Sands Martin Hotel, due to be returned to Diglis Island in March, which includes 30 nest boxes, a reported 43 chicks fledged in 2022, but this increased to 72 chicks last year. Well, now we've come to the end of this evening's recording. I do hope you've enjoyed hearing all the articles and useful information. Many thanks to the team, of course. Penny, Moira, Richard and Alex. And also to Carol and the admin team who work so hard in the background. We hope you'll tune in for next week's offering. So for now, from us all, good night. Good night. Now those useful telephone numbers. Worcester Talking News is Worcester, that's 01905 767766. The Police Non-Emergency, 101 and NHS Direct Treble One. Out of hours medical assistance, that's between 6pm and 8pm, 0300-1233211. Crime Stoppers, 0800-555-1. Community Risk Team, Fire Safety, 0800-032-1155 Domestic Abuse Helpline 0800-980-331 Worcestershire County Council Here to Help Worcester 768053 Request Option 3, Worcester Hub, Worcester 765765, Samaritans 116123, and that's a free phone number, Worcester Theatre's box office, Worcester 611427, Malvern Theatre box office, 01684 892277, the Norbury's Theatre, Droidwich, Box Office, Worcester, 770154. Number 8 Theatre, Pershaw, Box Office, 01386, treble 5488. National Grid, formerly Western Power, 0800 7953, that's a 24-hour service. Use this in the event of a power cut. And there is a priority service register free on 0800-032-8302. Hill will provide information, for example, in Braille, large print or alternative languages. And lastly... The obituaries. Rosemary Edith Powell.
passed away peacefully on the 12th of January, aged 93 years. The funeral on Thursday, 15th of February, at St George's Church, St George's Square, followed by the burial at Westall Park Natural Burial Ground. Any donations to be made to Dementia UK. Stephen Williams of Fernhill Heath passed away suddenly in hospital on the 13th of January, aged 47 years. The funeral has already taken place. But donations, if desired, for Parkinson's UK. Ronald Victor Jenkins, known as Ron, formerly from Littleworth, passed away peacefully at Seven Heights Nursing Home on the 18th of January, aged 96 years. The funeral is at the Vale Crematorium on the 12th of February at 10am. Feel free to wear bright colours. Family flowers only, or donations if desired for dementia. Angela Lane passed away peacefully on the 22nd of January, aged 83 years. Funeral service to take place at 10.45 on Wednesday the 14th of February at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if so desired, would be gratefully received for Cancer Research and Redhill Care Home. Janet, or Jan Whitcomb from Kemsey, passed away peacefully surrounded by family on Saturday the 6th of January at home aged 83 years. The funeral service has taken place. Donations, if so desired, will be gratefully received for Dementia UK. Ninetta Adoricio passed away peacefully, surrounded by family and love, on the 14th of January. The Requiem Mass at St George's Catholic Church has already taken place. Trevor William Lippitt passed away in hospital on the 22nd of January, aged 86. A Mass to celebrate his life will be held at St George's Catholic Church on 19th of February 2024 at midday. Lieutenant Colonel Jim Shaw passed away peacefully at home on Thursday the 9th of January aged 75 years. A funeral service will be held on Friday the 9th of February 11.30am at Worcester Crematorium. All who knew him are welcome. Family flowers only, but donations in memory of Jim for St Richard's Hospice. Stanley Charlton, known as Stan, sadly passed away on the 17th of December 2023, aged 58. A service to celebrate his life has already taken place. Donations for Wildlife Rescue in memory of Stan. Mary Day passed away peacefully in hospital after a long illness on the 9th of January 2024, aged 82 years. The funeral service has already taken place, but donations, if desired for the acute stroke unit, please make cheques payable to Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Charity. Martin Stuart Ratcliffe of Summers Road, Worcester, passed away on the 4th of January 2024, aged 48 years. Funeral service has already taken place. 
donations if desired. Please for Mind or Dogs Trust. And Shirley Ann Jones, nay Duke, passed away peacefully at home on the 17th of January 2024. The funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 8th of February at 11.30am. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for Birmingham Children's Hospital for the benefit of the oncology unit. John Price Davis of Inkborough passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on the 30th of December 2023, aged 87 years. The funeral service has taken place, but donations if desired for Parkinson's UK. Jean Winifred Edwards of Hatfield, Worcester passed away peacefully at home on the 14th of January 2024, aged 102 years. Funeral service to be held at St George's Catholic Church, 1 Sanson Place, Worcester, WR1 1UG, on the 7th of February at 12 noon. Flowers to the Funeral Directors AV Band, please. Donations, if desired, to Site Concern, Worcestershire. And Anna May Morag passed away peacefully on the 13th of January 2024, aged 94 years. A funeral service will be held at St George's Roman Catholic Church on the 16th of February 2024 at 12pm. Family flowers only please and donations for St George's Roman Catholic Church. <laughs>